0: downtown productions in cooperation with zone radio presents downtown the podcast from the historic zone radio studios. Here's your host, Rich Kimball.
1: Well, Hey there, welcome in. It is indeed downtown. The podcast episode number 154. Rich Kimball, Carrie Haskell with you from the zone radio studios in Bangor, Maine and brought to you every week by cross insurance where security meets strength. and We've got a couple of fun conversations for you this time around. On the second half of the podcast, uh, an actor who's been on our radio show a number of times and on the podcast before as well, a versatile character actor, PJ Byrne, who uh, these days can be seen in Amazon Prime's horrifying new series, Them. That is uh, pretty intense. We'll talk with PJ about that and some other projects In the work as well. But we get things underway by bringing you our conversation with Yardley Smith, who is in the history books because she and her castmates have played their characters longer than any other actors in the history of American television. We're talking about The Simpsons, of course, the longest running scripted series in the history of television. And they just keep on rolling. Yardley, the longtime voice of Lisa Simpson. And for both of us, Carrie, as, as longtime Simpsons fans, it was just a very surreal moment when uh, when Yardley came onto our Zoom conversation to hear that voice.
0: Yes, I mean, because the, the Lisa Simpson voice is an exaggerated voice, but it has a lot of similarities to Yardley's own voice, and uh, it was it was very very strange to start the <laughs> conversation with with uh, with her.
1: And she was uh, absolutely delightful. We talked about uh, The Simpsons, uh, some of her movie work and um, other voiceover work and some cool projects uh, she's doing through her own production house. A whole lot of fun. Let's give a listen to uh, Yardley Smith here on Downtown the Podcast. So much to talk about, Yardley, but I I, I find there's there's great irony in the fact that... uh, that instrument, which has provided you with quite a career and an impressive uh, resume through the years, is something that, uh, as a youngster, people gave you a hard time about.
2: Uh, yes, indeed. I, I like to say now, you know, it really was actually um, it was pretty painful. I think, as any as anything is, when kids tease you relentlessly about something. Um, I do like to say now who has the last laugh, right? (laughs) But it also contributed to, I think, when I got the audition for The Simpsons, I I didn't have a voiceover agent. It went through my regular theatrical agent, which is pretty unusual. Like Nancy Cartwright, for instance, who does the voice of Bart and Nelson um, and Ralph Wiggum. She had always done voiceover. Like she went to UCLA and studied voiceover. So for me to come by that job through just a regular theatrical agent wasn't that common. And I just honestly never thought that my voice could be an asset because people had made so much fun of it.
1: Now, before The Simpsons, though, and we have to talk about this, among other things, you worked with our friend Stephen King on Maximum Overdrive. (laughs) I love him. (laughs) (laughs) What was that experience like?
2: You know, I... Really, um, I actually remember the audition. I remember I auditioned in New York because I was living in New York City at the time. I, I live in Los Angeles now, and I, I have for the last—I oh, think it was about 1987. So that's roughly a hundred years. <laughs> um, but prior to that, when I first started out as a professional actress, I spent one year in Washington D.C., where I grew up, and then I moved to New York. And I remember going into this huge conference room in one of the high rises in New York City asked for my call back and Stephen King was there and he was so nice. I was so nervous, but he was so gracious and he was so lovely, but also he didn't give a lot away. So I remember thinking, oh, well, I guess I I I didn't get that job. Oh, well, which I always took really hard. You know, I don't ever go to an audition and sort of half-ass it. I I go wanting that job. So I was thrilled when I got it. And then I thought, oh my God, it's a Stephen King movie and he's directing. This is going to be awesome. It's going to make me a star. And then of course it was a total bomb when it came out. (laughs) Huge bomb. And then because of cable, cable was sort of making its way, right? Because this would have been 1985. Um, Cable had just come on the scene and they didn't have anything. So they ran... Two, actually really three of my first movies ad nauseum, just because they didn't have stuff. And now it's this great cult classic. But I remember the shoot. It was in North Carolina. It was, could not have been, um, could, are, you, are you rated G? What's your rating?
1: Uh, well, you know we're recording this, so we're we can always edit things out later True. on or make a strange Sadly, sound I, effect. I sort of cussed
2: <laughs> like a sailor. I was going to say it was fucking hot that summer. Let me tell you, um, it was as only the Carolinas can be. And having grown up in D.C., I was like, oh yeah, I remember this humidity and this heat. And um, so that was brutal. They built the truck stop where we spend most of the movie. It was dusty, um, and Stephen. I I, I think he says in his, I I read his memoir, which I remember really enjoying, but he says in his memoir that that was sort of the height of his alcoholism when he was directing this film. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that. I mean, he just seemed like a lovely guy who recognized that he was kind of out of his depth, that this was certainly an area that he didn't have a lot of expertise. But sadly, they f- they extra hamstrung him by giving him an all-Italian crew, all-Italian speaking crew, <laughs> because our executive producer was Dito De Laurentiis. Oh, that's
1: right, yes.
2: So it's... And they didn't speak English. So, you know, look, directing a film is hard enough, but when you can't even communicate with your crew in the same language... So we had a translator... Stephen would say something, he would translate it into Italian, they would say something, translate it back. I mean, I think we probably added a week and a half to the schedule in translation alone. Um, But he was so, um, he was incredibly humble. I do also remember that every day at five o'clock, the beer would come out, like cases of beer, right? And it didn't matter if we had a night shoot, and we had a lot of night shoots. So... I remember thinking, oh, that's, that's unusual. Well, anyway, all right. You know, I really was just a willing participant. So I enjoyed him enormously. He, he was the loveliest man, even as though, even when he was sort of battling the worst of his demons at that time.
1: Well, we think a lot of him here too. So uh, we're glad to hear it went <laughs> well for you. Uh, let's talk <laughs> about the Simpsons. You auditioned for Bart.
2: I did, I did. But, you know, it, it sort of overstates the importance of that um, artifact of my career, really. It really has to do with the fact that they always have women do the voices of young boys because our voices don't change. If you think about, we just started recording uh, season 33, which is insane. You could, you just, you'll never say that again, I don't think, no, in terms no. of scripted television. Um Unless it's a soap opera, right? But primetime scripted television. And so um, we can imagine how many Bart's we would have gone through if if Nancy Cartwright didn't do the voice of Bart, Right. Because he's 10. And, you know, Lisa Simpson is 8. I like to say she's 8. Every time she has a birthday, she turns 8. And we just don't talk about that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And, and of course, uh, people may not know, because it, it spans a couple of generations now, that it was originally part of the Tracy Ellman show.
2: That's right. Um, it was, we, we, were, we did what we used to call little bumpers. And James L. Brooks, who's still our executive producer, had this idea that he wanted to put a cartoon on before each commercial break. And back then, you had, uh, I think you had one less commercial break for an hour long show than you do now. Same with half hour shows. And so we told the whole story in about a minute. It might have been a minute and a half. I can't remember. So they would split it up. And I remember the first one was, there wasn't a lot of dialogue. It was Marge singing Rockabye Baby to the kids, which is, of course, is a harrowing bedtime um, lullaby when you think about <laughs> right. the, the lyrics. You're like, what is that? How is How are they not going to go to sleep and just have total nightmares? Down will come
1: baby cradle and all. What the yes, hell is this? Like,
2: really? <laughs> That's a good idea. And of course, the Three Simpsons children, all you see are their huge eyes, completely black, and you just see their big eyes, blink, 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 in terror after she <laughs> finishes. Um, so we, and Tracy Ullman was only on for two seasons, and it was a great show, great sketch comedy. And we were kind of this extra. And so, for instance, we would go in after her rehearsal day, Ever, the whole cast rehearsal day. Uh, Dan Castellaneta, who plays Homer, was on the Tracy Ullman show, and so was Julie Kavner, who mm-hmm. plays Marge. And um, I, I would go in with Nancy at the end of their rehearsal day and record in this makeshift, really not at all soundproof uh, recording booth that was they built behind the audience bleachers. And I remember going for the first at least, I don't know, several months I would show up in the security guard at the stage would be like, and you are, I'm like, dude, seriously, I know I'm only here for a minute or an hour and it's already five but really <laughs> this is ridiculous.
1: You mentioned Lisa eternally eight years old. And I wonder, do you think that's part of this incredible longevity for the show is that the characters didn't age. They are always perpetually in that time.
2: I do, actually. I think it is a unique situation where we as the characters and the show, you know, the the geographical location, even though we never say where our Springfield is, um, that we remain the constant. And that gives us this unique platform from which to comment on everything that's happening in the world. Um, And also it it, there is what you can do with animation that you can't obviously do with live action because I'm 56 now. I think I started doing The Simpsons when I was 24. I mean, that's ridiculous. (laughs) So, I mean, you obviously in real life, we all age. So, you have a unique opportunity to freeze time, which I think whether or not you are sort of, you're you're zen enough to be okay with aging, there is a kind of a, a great... I I don't believe that there is a a single person who hasn't once wished. I wish I could just stop time for a moment.
1: We're talking with Yardley Smith here on downtown. How do you view Lisa in, in the Simpsons universe? Is, is she the soul? Is she the heart of the family?
2: She, yes. You know, she's been called that, um, a lot. It's, it's it's a heavy as the head that wears that crown. I (laughs) can tell you, um, but the other thing about Lisa, I've learned so much from Lisa Simpson, which I, I really, really love her. Like, I love her. I love what she stands for. I love her compassion. I love her heart. I love her resilience. Um, and And really, most especially, I love her sense of humor. And I honestly feel like the character works best when you can put her on the soapbox, you can have her Um, get the message out for whatever it is, you know, if we're taking a stand on something. But at the end of the day, if you don't also show her laughing her head off at itchy and scratchy, then nobody will really, you'll miss so much of the message because nobody wants to listen to that precocious child for 22 minutes without the humanity, right? You have to fold that into the whole formula of this wonderful little girl.
1: 700 episodes, I'm sure it would be impossible to to pick one. But is there, if somebody said to you, we're going to put one episode in a time capsule for future generations, how would you want Lisa to be represented in that?
2: Oh, gosh, that's a terrible question, Rich. That's a terrible question. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um,
2: My first thought is, well, there's, gosh, I always say I have like a running list of 10 because really when you have 700, it's so hard to choose. But I think my very first thought was there's a great episode called The Summer of Four Foot Two. And what I love about that and what I, one of my favorite things that they do with Lisa Simpson is they take her out of her comfort zone and then they, and then she has to figure out how she's going to handle that. And it's enormously appealing and really relatable. And in this episode, the Simpsons family goes on a summer vacation. They, for reasons unknown, Flanders says, yes, you can use my cabin by the beach, which we've never seen before or since, I don't think. Um, And Lisa decides she's going to reinvent herself and hang out with the cool kids. And then Bart is jealous that she's actually getting some traction here. Like she changes her wardrobe. And he outs her. And she finds out. And she, when Mar and it's a great, great scene where they're sitting at the breakfast table in the kitchen and Marge is there. And Lisa is not saying anything. And when Marge turns her back, literally just to the sink, Lisa grabs Bart by the shirt and says, I know exactly who you
1: are. (laughs) And it's a
2: wonderful, I I just love seeing those, the other sides, there's so many facets to that great little character, when you get to see little glimpses of her that we don't, aren't ordinarily familiar with. There's another great episode called uh, Lisa on Ice, which is about (laughs) when they're both on a hockey team, opposing hockey teams. Again, as we know, Lisa's no athlete. She's terrible at it. And I think prior in that episode, there's a, a great scene prior to when they're actually she she turns out to be this phenomenal hockey goalie, which is hilarious, where she's playing dodgeball and the and dodgeball <laughs> deflates on her hair points. You just go, oh dude.
1: <laughs> uh, do you record together as a cast at all or is it all done individually?
2: We pre-pandemic. We recorded all together like an old radio play, which is awesome and very rare. You know, for, for instance, when we did the crossover episodes, it's probably eight years ago now, I think, with Family Guy, because it was, I, I guess maybe they had suggested, I forget how, but for some reason, we went to their studio to record. All my stuff was with the character Meg, who's Mila Kunis, and I never met her. Like I did all my stuff by myself. So obviously we're a well-oiled enough machine now where we can do that. But I have to tell you that my preference is always, because I stand between Dan who does Homer and Nancy who does Bart in our recording studio. First of all, it never gets old, especially to watch somebody like Dan who does so many voices in any given episode. Watch him go from voice to voice to voice. I could watch it all day. He's so brilliant. Same with Hank, same with Harry. Um, But, you know, the way Dan or Nancy or Julie or anybody says a line to Lisa Simpson is going to inform the way I respond. So I miss that. When when the pandemic hit, we now um, do our read-throughs, our table reads, which are really the most important part for the writers. It's the very first time they hear the script out loud. It's only once when they hear it all together, just run through and they see what jokes work, what don't, where the rewrites need to start at least. Um, So we used to do that all together in a conference room. And now we've been doing it over Zoom. And then for a while we were recording over Zoom. So this setup that you, if your listeners, if you put video up at all on your um, show as well, this is where I would record Lisa Simpson. But, you know, there could be lawnmowers, garbage trucks, barking dogs, you name it. So while it's a pretty darn good setup because I have a, a co-host of podcasts, so I had good equipment, there was so much cleanup on the back end for the engineers that as soon as they said, you can come in now one at a time to record your part, I was like, yes, sign me up because it just was so much more efficient. So I'm now now for instance today I'll go into the studio record an episode we read a couple about ten days ago um, I'll still be directed over Zoom and the engineer is in a booth like your guy you know um, ten feet behind me but uh, it's it's just at least it's a little better <laughs>
1: I, I look at your microphone and I think back on a story uh, many years ago when Stephen did an episode of the Simpsons. I remember he came in to record it here in the station, but the producers had sent him a microphone. He's like, don't they know I own a radio station? My mics aren't good enough for the Simpsons.
2: (laughs) That is hilarious.
0: Did Way you not to that? do your homework, folks. <laughs> yeah, I, awesome. Yeah, I had to help. I had to help set that up, and they did it because the microphones all have—it's the same mics that you guys used to record with. They all have the sort of the same resonance and sound to them, so it makes exactly. it much easier to match everything.
2: It's funny you say that. There, I learned about um, reflection. So I was like, what the hell is that? And they said, it ha- which is why it's beneficial, even if we go in individually to record, to do it in exactly the same location mm-hmm. with the same equipment because it, it makes it, it all sound like it, like we were all in the same room. It makes it all sound the same as opposed to, oh, I'm in this great little room. That's a little bar at my house. Right. And somebody else is in their closet and somebody else is in their bathroom. And it, it's quite a bit more complicated than you would think.
1: Well, we could talk Simpsons all day. Cause we're, we're both big Simpsons fans, but I, I we were both Carrie and I both struck by this. when we talked about having you on the show. We both talked about this show and I have had, at least half a dozen people in the last couple of days when I've said hey we're gonna be talking to Yardley Smith they said oh my god please ask her about Herman's head
2: oh such a great great show so fun um, sadly only three seasons it was it was on like I think this it was like 89 was it gonna be 89 or 90 91 92 some somewhere in there and um, I played a character named Louise, who was sort of Herman's best friend and worked with him in the office as opposed to being in his brain. There were four actors who played various aspects of his brain. So there was Genius, uh, Angel, who was his emotions, Animal, who was his lust and sort of sex drive and um, uh, who was Fear... Uh, a guy, oh crap, I might remember later. Um, And then there was the fear, right? And so but I was in the office and it was so much and Hank Azaria was also on that show. We were both, so the Simpsons had just gone to Half Hour. I think it was 1990 because I remember being on two shows on the same night on the same network separated by one hour. And I was like, does life get better than this? I don't (laughs) think so. I was, I was never happier.
1: That was great. And I I was ahead of its time.
2: It was, it was. After that, um there was a a much more uh sort of we were cause we were network shows, so we were very PG. Um, uh there was a showtime version um of of basically the same premise. That was ran a little, started a little bit after us, but it's basically the same thing. And it's a great idea. You know, everybody wants to know what somebody is thinking. And when you look Mm. at them, like, I know you're thinking something. What could it be?
1: (laughs) And then there I was the other night surfing the dial and and what should come up. But uh, one of my favorite movies that I hadn't seen in forever, As Good As It Gets.
2: Oh, so great. It's funny. You know, it's funny about that. So that was directed by James L. Brooks, who is our executive producer on The Simpsons. And people are like, oh, well, Yardley, that's a given. I mean, you're on The Simpsons. And of course, he put you in this movie. And I am so grateful to have been in that movie. But I'm telling you, I'd already worked on The Simpsons, I think, for 15 years when he was like, you know what? You should come be in my movie. I'm like, if I had to wait 15 years every time somebody who's like, that's a good idea, good God. Um, But that was, you know, I haven't done a lot of movies that are that successful. And it's just next level. You can feel it when you're shooting it. It is, it is just a really, incredibly well-oiled machine. It is, you can, you just feel it. And I was so honored. I was so delighted. That Uh, was fun.
1: How uh, are are the Simpsons producers? Are they, I guess, protective is the word I would use of, of these voice talents?
2: Um, They're protective of the characters, you know, Uh, they, and I would say the funny thing is that most of our writing staff is male. They've done a, a, a slightly better job now. Introducing, a, I think there's maybe four women on staff now. But literally for decades, it was all men. With these, and one woman, this great female writer named Carolyn Omine, who's written some classics. And um, but and the and what they have told me is that Lisa Simpson is them. Like the writers <laughs> are getting all of their childhood angst out through Lisa Simpson. And if you think about it, it, it sort of makes sense because they were always the smartest people in the room when they were in school. They all, you know, went to Harvard or all these Ivy League schools. And and like Al Jean who's one of our showrunners. He went to Harvard for physics when he was like 15 or something. Right. I mean, the dude is legit genius. Right. And so and I have i know because when i did drama in school when i did school plays and that was really all i did and i and i really excelled at it I, you're, I really you're talking it. to a
1: uh, to a high school drama director right here
2: oh it's well then you know <laughs> that when you have somebody who stands out it's great for the production but it can also be challenging socially right oh yeah and it, but it's the same with um, any if you're great at sports, if you're a math whiz, whatever it is that sets you apart from your peer group can make you feel like, oh, I don't ha- I don't really fit in. Now I'm different when all you want to do is fit in. So I think it was the same for all these male writers, even though so they're writing out all of <laughs> doing their therapy through Lisa Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: who is it among the cast when you are recording all together? Who's the one cast member who's likely to get you to crack more easily than others?
2: Oh, Dan Castellaneta or Hank Azaria. Hank actually, he lives in New York now, so he doesn't actually record with us. He'll do he'll they'll schedule his recording. He prefers to do it on his own. He does a lot of riffing. Um, He's phenomenal. So I stand next to Dan, and honest to God, like I said, it never gets old. And Dan, when he ad-libs as Homer or really any of his characters, Groundskeeper Willie, um, who else does he do? Uh, Oh, I'm drawing a blank now. He does about 25 regular characters. Dan is a genius. I can never get enough of Dan. All
1: right, we mentioned this uh, for anybody who's not familiar. Can you tell people about your podcast Small town dicks.
2: Yes. Which is not
1: pornographic at all.
2: (laughs) Well, Rich, I'm hoping that you'll support me in knowing that dicks used to be noir slang for detective. (laughs) Absolutely. So that was sort of what we were hanging our hat on. But the funny thing is, so I co-host this really wonderful, very, um, I feel like very reverent, respectful towards the victims, um, true crime podcast with two Identical twin detectives, <laughs> Dan and Dave. And um, all of our cases are told by, so Dan and Dave always tell a couple of uh, stories, cases that they investigated in each season, but then we have other guests and it's always the detective who investigated that case. So you get really a very granular look at how, an investigation needs to go in order for justice to be served for these victims. In addition, Dan and Dave uh, really felt strongly that we change all the names of our victims and, uh, as well as suspects, actually. We don't tell you where the crime took place, um, and we only use the first names of our detectives. And it really is just because, every, and all of our cases are adjudicated as well. We just don't want to put anybody through it all over again um, and for us the what's interesting and what the podcast really focuses on is how do what is if if you only gonna, if you're only going to get 10% of the outcome of a of a case on the news or in the newspaper what is below that 10% what are all of the things that needed to go exactly right in order for these for these dominoes to line up in order for justice to be served and it's I have, really really good.
1: I have to think it's it's a lot of fun too just to to work a different muscle uh, in doing this and, and and look at it more as a storyteller
2: It's really well said um i I actually so the the role that I play on my side of the table is I'm you so if you mm. had the privilege to have a seat at that table, what are the questions that you might ask and um it's anything I'm not afraid to say like what is what is that? acronym mean? Or I we did a, there's a, an episode that uh, drops tomorrow where I say, I think I've asked this question 10 times, but why is it hearsay when you have an, an actual recording from one of the witnesses? Why is that hearsay? It's, it's that person. And you find out that every accuser has a right to question somebody that is accusing them, right? Um, so I, I just ask it all. But the other piece I want to know is, if you are those, if you are one of those people who is willing to go toward the things that the rest of us run from, if you are one of those people who um, sees the worst of humanity every single day, that's your job. Where does that live inside of yeah. you? Where do you put it? How do you be a father? How do you be a husband? How do you be a friend? Where does it go? And they all say, you just put it in a box. The problem is that the lock on that box isn't that good. Right,
1: right. Well, I listened to a couple episodes and uh, it's terrific. I also had, had the chance to watch a couple of episodes of Oil and water, and uh, I don't know. You're telling me Twinkies and onions worked together. Listen to me. It's alchemy.
2: That one actually worked out. So, yeah,
1: during the,
2: I'm actually a pretty good cook, even though I don't cook a lot of very good things on my silly cooking show. Um, But during the pandemic, I was like, you know, and I don't get asked to do a lot of acting roles anymore. I don't know why business is changed a lot and whatever, whatever. And I have a production company and, um, we produce a lot of things, but we not necessarily for me, uh, in any case, I was like, you know what? I think I would like to do a funny, silly cooking show. And it really all started because I had decided I would make a recipe from the Simpsons from one of the Tracy Almond shor- shorts okay. where Bart makes, uh, where Homer makes Bart dinner and he combines basically, fish and pork and he makes porkified fish nuggets. and so I was like you know what I'm going to make that and see and it turns out to be not terrible which on oil and water is high praise so I came up with this idea that I would take actually create a game it's really more of a game than a cooking show each episode is about six or eight minutes long you can find it on instagram at at oil and water food and on youtube at oil and water food so the premise is i draw one random sweet ingredient one random savory ingredient and then one random thing like it's a pie it's a soup it's an ice cream it's a you name it and then i have to make it on the fly so that's what I do. And yes, I had I drove my sweet thing was Twinkies, my savory thing was onions, and my thing thing was a dumpling. So I made a Twinkie onion dumpling. And I tell you, Rich, you would not be mad about it.
1: And what was it that you what was it you combined with beef sticks? Ah, oh.
2: So that was so that was our Easter um, episode, and I was thrilled to have Detective Dan from yes. Small Town Dicks as my celebrity chef uh, on oil and water. He also happens to be my fiancé, so that was easy. Um, Dan is not a great cook, but Dan got to pick the ingredients, and um, so he chose beef sticks. I'm like, you brought me gas station food? What? Like Slim Jims, right? Yeah. Horrible. I'm I'm like, I've never had one of those in my life. And he brought me those little marshmallow peeps.
1: Yeah, that's true. I'm like, this is
2: going to be... And then I thought, okay, my only hope is my thing was a casserole. So that part was random. And I'm like, all right, we're going to make basically like a Thanksgiving casserole sweet potatoes. We're going to put the beef sticks on the bottom and the peeps on the top. And we're going to roast it. Oh, my God, it was bad. It's so funny. It's so, so funny. So I really, I loved that he uh, was willing to come on and do the show. (laughs)
1: Thank you so much. It's, it's been wonderful to visit with you today. We appreciate you making some time for us. And I hope we can do it again down the road.
2: I hope so, too. You guys are awesome. Thank wow. you so much for that. I really appreciate it. Oh, what we a pleasure.
1: Too. I well, we'll hope we get to do it again. Thanks, Yara. I hope
2: so, too. I just want to tell you that, um, you know, when I wrote to you, I said I, I love Maine. So my brother lived in Friendship, Maine. Oh, really? For about, hmm. Yeah, 25 years.
1: Oh, that's a beautiful area.
2: Yeah, and he worked for the Department of Environmental Protection down in Bangor, actually.
1: Uh, that's where we are. We're based in Bangor.
2: And uh, he now he lives in the U.K. doing what he used to do for the Department of Environmental Protection. Um, and then I, we both went to camp in Maine when we were kids. So Thomas went to Chewankee. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I went to Alford Lake. Oh that's wonderful. Wow. And Thomas Yeah, Thomas was a counselor at Chwonky, and um so I love Maine. It's Just one of the most beautiful places in the whole world. Well, that's
1: awesome. Well, when we get through all this foolishness and uh, you're able to travel again uh, if, if you're here I'll in come the Come into the studio. Yeah, stop in and say hello. We'd love that.
2: I'd love it too.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Yardley.
2: You guys are awesome. Thank wow. you so much for that. I really appreciate it. Oh, what we a do pleasure. Too.
1: I will. Right, well, we'll hope we get to do it again. Thanks, Yardley. I hope so too. Holy cow, that was so much fun, Yardley Smith, with us, and uh, we have to share the story, uh, Carrie, that you know, she gave a shout out to Stephen King and talking about Maximum Overdrive, and and you reached out to to Stephen to share her hello, and and heard back from him.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I reached out uh, through her uh, through Stephen's assistant to relay uh, Yardley's hello, and. Stephen responded back with a hello right back to to Yardley, but also a story related to the North Carolina heat <laughs> that Yardley so uh, vividly brought up in, yeah. in our discussion, which they both remember after more than three decades It says something. Yeah, it must have been a bit of a difficult shoot in that. heat.
1: I would say so, but uh, it was so great. She was uh, so awesome. Yardley Smith. Uh, Here on Downtown the Podcast. We'll break for a moment for a word from our friends at Cross Insurance.
0: Cross Insurance, where security meets strength.
1: Back on Downtown, the podcast. Our next guest, a frequent visitor to our radio show. Awfully talented guy. You've seen him in movies like The Wolf of Wall Street, Bombshell, countless TV series, Vinyl, Big Little Lies. And he is in the new Amazon Prime hit series, Them. We had a great time talking with our friend, EJ Byrne. We're happy to be able to uh, pry you away from doing your taxes. It's good to Uh, to be seen as more enjoyable than that.
3: Yeah, I mean, so I had a finance degree, and I know a lot of actors uh, have have business managers, which kills me because they pay like an extra 5% of their income. And a lot of them sign these like, you're gross. The 5% of my gross goes to my. Business manager and it, and it kills me because all you really need is a tax accountant and a financial advisor and and then you're good to go. So I I I, I don't know business managers and me are a little we bang knuckles <laughs> we bang knuckles if you will.
1: Well, I was going to ask uh, what your pandemic experience has been like, but before we came on, you you were telling me that you you've had a baby in this time. No, I don't want to. Oh, I do want to pry. That's what I no, do. Pry pry away. This
3: rich, come on, we go back. We're in episode 2041. Exactly. We got we need all the information we can get now. <laughs>
1: So is this a true pandemic baby conceived uh, during the pandemic
3: if this is pre-pandemic ah. and and I honestly think debatable if my son exists if the pandemic happened be like oh. wow well, that's we've just crushed any form of income you know because acting it has always been you know traditionally considered a recession proof profession now don't get me wrong it's 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 very hard to be an actor and to work and to consistently. You know, it's a, it's a high risk industry, but when you're working, ideally it's a recession proof industry, but this is the first thing that's sort of, you know, but next to war, what have you, but, um, come along and, and shut us down for, for a very good beat, but, you know, kudos to our union and the producers and all the studios and the production companies that they found a way to sort of thread the needle and, and get us back to working um, earlier than, you know, than mo- most organizations and, and industries. But yeah, no, we got through the uh, we got through the pandemic. We had a baby. We name his name is Bear Bear Paul Burn Bear Burn. Uh, he's named after my dad because when we used to go on road trips as kids, uh, we used to go with my aunt and uncle. And my uncle was in one car with the family, and 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 we were on CB radios back then, no cell phones, <laughs> so you had to have you know a call sign. So my uncle, who was a, this bald dentist, who was so funny, uh, Uncle Frank, he he was Bald Eagle. And he would go and he would ask my dad, he's like, Big Bear, where's Big Bear? And my dad was Big Bear. And my dad's gigantic. He's six four, like two forty. I'm I'm five ten, like one seventy. I missed a gene for sure. But so we named him after my dad, Bear, Bear Paul Byrne. And he's his his name is Paul Byrne, so he's Bear Paul.
1: Well, ten four, good buddy. That's awesome. I did it for you,
3: Rich. I did it. Rich, what would be your C B radio call
1: sign? Did you have one? I you know, I did not. I I I was around then uh, when the CB craze was going, but I I didn't have one. Although, interestingly enough, in college, back in the late 70s, um, a bunch of us decided to pack up our cars, two cars worth of guys, and drive to Florida for spring break. And we didn't want to bother to get CB radios, so we bought cheap, like, I don't know, Radio Shack (laughs) walkie-talkies. And we thought, we'll communicate this way. This will be fantastic. Yeah. And so they worked for about the first 10 minutes. And oh, then we on. got separated on the interstate. And it was like, over. 28 hours later, somewhere in the middle of Florida, we hear, "Car uh, Carwan, car are you guys there? Uh, we're in Fort Lauderdale. Where are you? Like, We're in Fort Lauderdale, too. Where have you this been for terrible. a day and a half? So <laughs> maybe I should have What gone. did you drive down there? Do you remember what you drove? Uh, I did it was a it was a pontiac ventura i love it how many guys in the in one car i think we had four in one somebody had a bigger car like right uh and then three in mine i think was i
3: miss those road i love those road trips those are are good times
1: and just pass out on the beach and and be there for a week and yeah and then drink away drink your uh, hearts drink to your heart's content may have done that all right now we got to talk about them Oh my God! So people yes. were talking about them, and I wanted to see it. But then I saw you were in it, and I said, "Well, now I I definitely have to watch." Good God, that show is intense.
3: It's heavy. It's got it's got everything. I mean, you want racism, you want terror. Uh, it, it, it's it's all there, packed up. You want PTSD? You want? P- I mean, there's there's so much that the two leads, Ashley and Deborah, have to deal with. You know, as far as backstories going on in their brains, I don't think any other show, honestly, I mean, just let's take Ashley's character, who, who I play his boss on the show. So he's dealing with PTSD during, from World War II because the government tested on him, which is horrific. He's dealing, I don't know if I should say this, a loss, let's say, of a family member. He's dealing with a wife who went through, I want to give it away, a traumatic experience. Mm-hmm um and then he moves you know he leaves uh the east coast and he comes out west thinking new hopes and dreams uh he moves to a place in compton which was originally all white uh and then is is just the racism times a billion uh they want him out of the neighborhood and his family and then he comes to work for me (laughs) and there's these slight bits of just power and racism and struggle um, so he's got a lot on his plate. And I've even put in, like, there's a haunting going on yeah, yeah. in the house. I mean, like, what other show in the history of shows juggles so much and, and threads the needle like that and gets it gets it
1: done? And I've had less than stellar bosses in the past, but but nobody quite likes Stuart Burks.
3: Oh, he's horrible. He's horrible. And that's, you know, the whole show that this little Marvin came up with and, Le- and, and, and Lena produces... It, you know, it's, it's this big idea. Great, great show. And I, I know for that scene, though, uh, in particular, uh, a, a buddy of mine, Dave Matthews, he was also one of the showrunners. He, he knows my voice. So he, he sort of he, he writes these great scenes as well. And just the flip flopping of my character. You don't know if it's like I'm, I'm, I'm your buddy. I'm your friend. I'm a lovely boss or I'm just horrific, racist piece of garbage and you're constantly flipping throughout the scene so that's why i mean i love this character just to play with it i mean in life i think he you know he's a he's a terrible human uh but it's it is a fun character for an acting experience to play i'll tell you the flipping the Mm. flip-flopping idea
1: well and i love that when we meet stewart's we find out right away that he's i don't want to give anything away any spoilers for people who haven't watched but it's safe to say he's much more concerned when something bad happens to a dog than to a human
3: for sure i mean and that's just so telling <laughs> of who he is it's just he's not a great person and he loves power um but the lesson is there's all, always someone a little more powerful than you and 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 he wants to plug into his power anywhere he can
1: so is it uh, is it a fun character to obviously it's always fun to be a villain but uh, in this setting has it been enjoyable
3: it, it, it really is, it really is a, for, first and foremost, I look for like really good writing, right? Um, and is it an important story? And there's, you know, this is an important story that I didn't even know what was going on in Compton at the time that it was originally right and how, you know, what, what they did to the African-American population is just horrific and how they just price gouged them and, you know, in and out of homes. It, it, it's a really, it, I think it's an important thing for everyone in America to see uh and it's but as far as then playing the character and the good writing it it's it's a blast. I also love playing period pieces as mm-hmm. well. I just enjoy, you know, just completely forgetting who the real PJ Burn is and just entrenching myself. And when you play horrible characters, I it, it's so Antithetical to who I am as a person. I know I'm, and no one is right because it just feels so disgusting when I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this or I'm saying this or I feel this. I know I'm in the zone. And it's almost, I feel like I'm cheating because I get such a good answer viscerally what it feels like when I'm in it because it feels so wrong that it is right. If that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. But I know.
1: And it feels that way watching too. And I, I said to, yeah. to Carrie when I watched the first episode, I hate all white people now. Uh, I'm angry. I'm angry at everybody. Uh, and it's, it's not an easy show to watch, but I think that's, that's the power of it is you, you hang in there through some awful stuff and the creative team has said, yeah, believe us. We we know, but you have to make an impression and let people know. And and you need that visceral reaction. I think. Yeah,
3: no, I, I agree. I think, I mean, and it's not like we're embellishing. Like if you talk to people that lived, in Compton during that time, or anywhere in America, and and how racism was so in your face, and how you were just such a second-class citizen. I, I it, it, it's almost like did we push the envelope enough on some level? It's like could we have really zung zing them more because it it really happened. So I don't know. I'm just it's a good show to be a part of. I'm proud to be a part of that show. You know, and the thing is, there's so much material out there in the world right now. Mm. You have to have these extra extra elements to sort of keep people you know, interested. So I think we do that. Also, we're just showing people what history was like, you know, in in you know in the 50s.
1: Uh, now, I, I know the show has been signed already for a second season on Amazon Prime. Uh, is Stuart back for season two? Well, th- it's
3: going to be a completely different scenario. So oh, this is a, yeah. kind of a standalone baby, and then there'll be like a whole different story. Oh, okay. From little, little Marvin's mind. Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, We're talking with PJ Byrne here on downtown. Uh, What else have you got going on? tell us? Uh, Can you tell us about the boys?
3: Yeah. So uh, what am I, I don't even know what the heck I'm allowed to say yet. So I think I'm allowed to say, I'll be back in season season three. There's some other things I can't uh, talk about. Uh, I'm going to be on a a never, I'm going to recur on another show called never have I ever that's going to be on Netflix. That's coming out. I think in July, maybe June or July. Another nice guy. I'm another very nice guy, um, and then uh, I think I can say it. And then I'm going to do Cobra Kai for season oh, awesome. four. I think they're on. Wow. Yeah, no, it's, uh, we're having a nice run. We're having a, we're having a nice run, and and then uh, actually, Ray. Oh, I'm leaving in like a week or so. Ray Ray Romano uh, wrote a beautiful script, um, and he's going to be directing it as well, and and we're going to be shooting that in New York. And I can't. I mean, that might be the the thing I'm most excited about, a because um, I'm excited to be, you know, anytime to work with Ray. But Ray's such one of the best. Ray Romano is one of the best uh, humans in the world, and and I know all the care and hard work he he puts into this this movie and and now he's going to direct and it's kind of is i'm the most excited about it because i think he has incredible taste i think he's wildly talented
1: oh he did Uh, a great uh, little two-hander with our friend mark duplass that was wonderful oh
3: yeah i'm telling that's what i'm saying it's just like anything he touches is like i think he's a super actor and you know and get remember he came up just being a stand-up comedian he didn't go to directing school or grad school to be a a classically trained actor he he learned as he did and you know, on his show, he was surrounded by greats. What what a better teach! I don't know a better teaching place, but I mean, he's just special. Having acted with him in vinyl, um, I'm I'm excited to work on this, and I'm I'm excited for everyone to see it because I, I know he's going to deliver. He's, he's just a great a great talent.
1: That's very cool. Now I I, I hesitate to bring this up. Hesitate because and just it, do it. it might Pause be a source spot and, you know, uh, as a Boston College guy. What the so, heck is Boston University doing? Winning a national championship in college hockey?
3: I don't know. I I'm so bummed. <laughs> we were so close. I th- really thought this was the year. I thought this was it. We were going to do it, and and it's crazy. These kids are so talented. And and once they lost, I feel like a week later, like three of them were in the pros mm. playing somewhere. And it's so it's so crazy the talent they get on the hockey team. But actually, actually, the BC, uh, you know. Everywhere from, you know, women's hockey. How many Olympians do we have come out there to our lacrosse team is amazing. We just beat Notre Dame handedly uh, this weekend, our female lacrosse team, but our soccer team and field hockey and like our basketball, our women's team is coming. Now we got a new coach and we got coach Halfley, the football team. I'm excited about BC sports and Martin Jarman just left. He's, I don't know if he was the athletic director. He's like this golden boy athletic director, just a great guy. But they got another new athletic director there. That's great. But Martin is actually out here at UCLA now, so I feel, by default, I'm becoming a UCLA uh, uh, fan as well because Martin's there. But also, they're the Bruins. I just say my son Bears, so it's like we're, I gotta. By default, I have to be a <laughs> Bruins fan
1: that's perfect well pj yeah. it's always great to talk with you love your work on them look forward to all the exciting new projects thank you my friend and uh, thanks for making some time for us in the midst of tax season here today
3: rich i hey buddy i love you i've always been a fan of you you're but at the end of the day you're even a better person uh, <laughs> other than your talent you're a good egg man and 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 keep crushing it i'm proud of you
1: all right thanks pj good to talk, uh, you. talk to you soon my friend have a good one pj Byrne had to give him a little little hard time about B U. you winning a national championship. He's a BC grad, but a great guy, PJ Burns. So good to talk with him and the wonderful Yardley Smith as well. Thanks to them for joining us. Hey, thanks to you too. If you haven't already subscribe to the podcast, give us a fine review. If you're so inclined, if not, look, just keep it to yourself and uh, tell your friends about it as well. We'll see you next time right here on downtown. Podcast.